welcome to Landscape Photography World, a podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne, I'll be your host on the show, talking to landscape photographers about their creative process, motivations, likes and dislikes. This time I'm talking to Brenna Lee Schmidt about her stunning landscape and wildlife photography. Brenna's a photographer who loves adventure, nature and wildlife, which you will see through her images. She's also a passionate advocate for she's also she's also a passionate advocate for conservation. Bryn and her husband have raised their boys since they were toddlers in the outdoors and have spent a lot of time in the mountains and at the beach. They live in Boulder, Colorado and spend most of their time in the western states, Southern California and Maui. Her family spends a lot of time in nature with photography, rock climbing, camping, hiking, backpacking, snowshoeing and cross-country skiing. Brynn is also a writer for the Outbound Collective. We talk about how she's taught herself photography through trial and error and how she's overcome her initial struggles with understanding her gear to create beautiful art images. We also touch on the impact of crowds in many locations and even some wilderness areas due to overexposure on social media, along with a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Bryn. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure having you uh, on the show. So why don't we start with what got you started in photography and landscape photography in particular? Okay. Um, so I've been doing photography for about seven years now, probably. Um, I actually, it's kind of a long story how I got into it. So I'll try to keep it a little bit briefer, but my husband was a photographer and um, he, you know, kind of started acquiring all the gear, especially for wildlife. And we had two young boys. And so on all of our trips, we do a lot of trips in national parks public lands, you know, just a lot of outdoor stuff. And so I would usually be like wrangling the boys while he was taking, taking photos. And I was just happy to do that. And it was really funny because he really tried to teach me to do photography. I remember this, we used to rent, rent this house each summer and um, up near Glacier National Park for a month. And so mm-hmm. we'd spend our evenings and weekends in the park. And I, I totally remember him sitting me down at the table and like drawing out, you know, like explaining aperture to me. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't get it. I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old. This is not on my agenda. And, yeah, yeah. and so we, you know, we kind of just did that, had a really active life. Um, and then I actually, I got into photography. Um, we clearly had the gear. Um, there's a, there's a couple of ways. One way is I kind of actually just started with my iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, my son ended up getting Lyme disease and was really sick. And oh, he, was, yeah. he was in bed for three years. And during that time, I, um, I needed to do something to keep myself from falling apart every day. And so I started oh. this gratitude journal where I just did three things a day I was thankful for. And within like a month, I was like taking pictures of those things and, yeah, and just yeah. kind of creating a journal with it. And so suddenly I'm, I'm taking photos with my iPhone. I'm starting to try to set composition uh-huh. you know i've always known that i like to take pictures with my phone and you know and but i i got more interested and more interested and then as he got better and my older son was a little older too my husband um is a big rock climber and 
um, we kind of raised them climbing, but then during that uh, phase, we, you know, we didn't really get, get out. And then he started taking them out climbing a lot more. Okay. And I just love being in nature. I love being with wildlife. I love hiking, you know, everything. And so I think they were gone. I don't, I don't remember if they were gone just all day or for a weekend, but I just took all the gear. I had no idea what I was doing, but, you know, I took the gear. I have these big wildlife lenses and oh. I went up to Rocky Mountain National Park and found a herd of, of well about eight male bighorn sheep up on trail ridge road mm -hmm. you know like eleven thousand feet and i just got the gear out and i sat there for like two hours with them um i have a few that came out okay considering i really didn't know what you know i would yeah, that's you know, cool. I, I came back and i was i was hooked i mean i just yeah. Yeah. i literally it took it took that one evening of going out sitting behind a camera and realizing that the entire world went away while I sat there. Yeah. And you know, whether it's wildlife or landscape, it's it's you know, as soon as you put that camera in front of you, it's like just everything else fades away. And yeah, so the, con the concentration takes over, yeah. the concentration on the task takes over from everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think just like all the anxiety I deal with and the stress, everything was just gone. And I just had the most amazing time by myself. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think at that point I hadn't had a lot of alone time in a while. And um, that was, I think in August. And then by sep by late September, I was planning my first solo trip to Grand Tetons and Yellowstone. Wow, okay. And um, kind of took off from there. <laughs> cool. So you, you sort of started out with wildlife, obviously, because you, your husband was into into that. So why moving into landscape? And I mean, you do both, obviously, looking mm -hmm. at your portfolio, it's it, it's quite a mix. Um, I guess, you know, two things. Why, why move into landscape? But then also, what are the what do you see as being the major differences between the two in terms of that that process and, you know, the, the motivations behind it? um so wildlife is my passion and that just has to do with my background too of um mm -hmm. i graduated from college with a degree in environmental planning and and worked for my mentor had written part of the endangered species act for yep. the united states government and and so i was very involved in that i've always loved animals and wildlife um so that's a real natural fit for me and and that's that's probably what i love the most but it's also a lot harder for you know I can go out in the morning and, and hope to find a moose and elk, whatever, but it is easier to plan when you're, you know, when you're out to, to pick your landscape spot and go there and shoot. And um, I just found that I loved both of them, that I love, I'm, I'm not a morning person, so sunrise okay. is hard for me. <laughs> but once I'm up, I love being there. It's just getting up that is so hard for me. Oh, sure. um, but once I'm up and set up at a spot and blue hour hits and I, I'm just I'm so content and so happy and I love just trying different compositions. Um, I found that over time I've been using my telephoto lens a lot more for landscape yep. than I did in the beginning. You know, I just always went wide angle and I still love that. I mean, when, when I'm up in the Tetons a lot, you know, capturing those mountains with a wide angle lens, you know, and a reflection is still my most favorite thing. But yeah, yeah. I do a lot of telephoto landscape shots now, too. Yeah. Um, and just like I really have kind of fallen in love with the more intimate landscape you can get if you kind of, you know, pick an area that you're just attracted to and 
and yeah, drawing on that. You go, go where the light's right and uh, just focus. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think doing both, you have to, you, you're pretty flexible too. I could, you know, I often start out my morning at a sunrise landscape spot. Yep. And then as soon as I've grabbed some shots there, I'm in my car and I'm off looking for, you know, depending on where I am, what kind of wildlife I'm looking for. You either find it or you don't. And along the way, you find something else, yeah, you know, yeah. like well, oh, the, the light with the trees are so beautiful here. I'm stopping here. You know, I think I'm very much of a I let the environment lead me more than. OK, you know, like well, I'll was, take my like sunrise spot. But from there, I'm generally like the light and and animals lead me. Yeah, OK. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask about the, uh, the the planning side of things and how you how you go about it. So you know, obviously you, you you're picking a sunrise spot. So, <laughs> but well, what what sort of planning do you put into it? Are you are you sort of planning months ahead for the sun to appear between two peaks or something like that, or are you no, a little more relaxed? <laughs> I am definitely not that type of photographer. Um, it's really funny. I often talk about that. I'm a very impatient person. And so a lot of that really detailed planning and everything that is, it's just not natural to me. Sure. But what's funny is that in wildlife photography, you have to be incredibly patient. And I have found that I have the patience to sit and wait for a grizzly bear to come out mm -hmm. for five hours. And yet I can't like plan in advance. <laughs> <laughs> for a shot. So I don't know why that is, but somehow my impatience plays into that. So I do not plan ahead by months. I do not plan my shots. I just, I kind of, you know, I go by season. I yeah. obviously look at my weather and figure out if it's, you know, if I think it's going to be clear or not, you know, if I'm obviously always hoping for at least partial clouds and um, so I'll do that, but off, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I don't know, maybe this isn't a good thing as a photographer, but often it's literally the night before that I'm like, I'm going up to the park tomorrow. I have a free morning. I yep. can go. If the weather's good, I'm going check the weather, look at everything. You know, if it looks horrible, I don't go. If it looks pretty good, I'm, I'm shooting up there. It's only 45 minutes. Um, and then generally, you know, I'm just kind of picking my spot as I drive half the time. So okay. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm not a planner with my photography. And I don't know if that comes from the wildlife aspect of I'll set out at sunrise and I'll skip a sunrise location because I'm going to find, try to find a grizzly bear that I know was in a certain area yeah, right. the day before. And, you know, I can spend two hours and never find it. So I think I'm just really used to kind of figuring it out as I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes um, makes a lot of sense, I guess. Yeah. So I guess I do it with landscapes too, but yeah. So in, in in terms of what what about longer trips? You know, like you you mentioned the uh, trip to Yellowstone or the Grand Tetons. If you're you're planning something like that, are you you know are you taking the time to think about what the conditions are going to be like, other than just the the, the general seasonal, you know, autumn winter style. Um, I am, but that that one's really hard here. I don't I don't know what it's like um, for you in Australia, but we have to, you know, if I want a campsite or a lodge, I have to do that way in advance. Yeah, yeah. And, so you know, it depends on where you go, but yeah, you if you yeah. want if you want to book something, then you know, I mean, particularly this weekend is is Easter when we're recording this. So right, you know, if if you haven't booked, 
months ahead, exactly. they're not getting a spot. <laughs> yeah. And so that's how it is here. And on my, when we go as a family or just with my husband, I'll go camp on just public land, but I, I really will. I want to be in a campsite yep. um, or, you know, when I'm, when I'm alone, um, I sleep in our, we have a suburban and okay. we have a mattress in there so I can just camp in that um, or lodge in the park. So I'm generally booking that four to five months in advance. Yeah. Right. So, I've found that I'm kind of stuck with what I have with, with weather, um, yeah, yeah. which is hard, but I also, you know, I have a part-time job. I have to kind of photography's part-time, my other jobs part-time. So I do have to plan for that. And yep. um, I generally have my, my spots fairly picked out for sunrise sunset. I'm really flexible. I'm always just looking at what the light's doing, what, you yeah, know, sure. if it's even worth it or not. A lot of times I'm making that split decision in the evening of, is this going to be a great landscape night or am I, or should I just be looking for wildlife? Yeah, um, right. Right. And that has also driven me to, to almost quitting photography because it is really hard having two focuses and constantly, yeah. you know, pulling between. Do, do you want to talk a little bit more about that and, 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 you know, oh. how, how you deal with that, you know, the, <laughs> The, the, the stretching in two different directions. Well, this past summer, I wasn't dealing with it well at all. I was up in Yellowstone and I was like, I have to quit one of them. Like, I absolutely yeah. have to give up landscape or wildlife because this isn't working. I'm exhausted. Yeah. I don't stop. I don't, you know, it's like I, I just go all day. And in my mind, my mind's going back and forth between what I want to do that night, the next morning based on, you know, the evening before. And, sure. and so I've, I have found it's, it's, you know, it can be difficult to have two focuses like that. Um, but for the most part, I think the, the way I generally do it, if I've seen, so if it's like elk, moose, yep. things like that, um, you know, I may decide I'll generally look for them right after I do sunrise somewhere. If yeah. I've been in an area in Yellowstone or the Tetons and was like watching or photographing a grizzly bear, or I know there's a wolf pack in that area and we know they were there that evening, yep. I'll forego sunrise to get there before dawn. Yeah, right. You, okay. you try to get the wildlife that are harder to photograph. Yeah. So when, so when you, which is probably why I'm flexible is, you know, maybe why I'm not such a planner is, you know, day by day, hour by hour, I'm figuring out kind of what I want to do based on where wildlife is and if there is any or not. Fair enough. I I know I know this this might sound odd being on a, a landscape photography uh, uh, show, but. Uh, Talk talk to me a little bit about the wildlife side of things, and uh, you know, particularly things like you know how you when when you're out on your own, how you deal with safety and and that sort of thing. Because I think some of those things, you know, particularly in in the US and you know, Australia has its reputation for dangerous animals as well. But um, mm -hmm. you know, um, to be honest, I think the humans are more dangerous than most of the animals. But you know. Right. <laughs> I always joke that I carry bear spray and it's not for the bears. <laughs> so. <laughs> so how how do you keep yourself yeah, safe? Well, you know? I mean, I think that's, a, you know, it, I mean, it obviously depends on the area you're shooting in, but here, if you're going to be, you know, I do spend a lot of time in Montana, Wyoming, where there, you know, I love grizzly country. That's yeah. where I want to spend most of my time. 
Um, it doesn't really matter whether you're a wildlife photographer or a landscape photographer, you have to be planning for that encounter that could happen, especially when you're out at dawn mm. and dusk and in the dark. So, um, you know, I've kind of learned it. It doesn't matter what, whether I'm shooting landscape or wildlife, I have to be prepared, Yeah, you know, yeah. for, for a bear to, to, you know, walk into the area I'm in. So it's definitely carrying bear spray and, you know, learning, you know, making noise when you're going in. It's, it, it is, sometimes it's a little spooky to be the, you know, generally the, these, a lot of the places there'll be more people by the time sunrise hits, especially when you're going in fall and, you know, there's, there's people around, but um, there's one spot that I like to go to that even in fall, when there could be a hundred photographers lined up at one spot along the river, I I'll go to this lake that I love and I'll be the only person there. Yeah. Right. And, so and I love it. I love sitting there and I can hear the elk bugling in the distance and I'm I'm doing landscape photography, but I'm constantly, you know, Looking glancing at around yeah. and making enough noise so that animals know I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean I think that's an important one, whether you know landscape or wildlife, you kind of need to be ready for what might be in your surroundings. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's snakes or sharks or, <laughs> or yeah, I, I, I know a few uh underwater photographers that have to deal with sharks a little bit more than i do but um <laughs> yeah, yeah that's not an issue for me generally <laughs> <laughs> so talk, talk to me a little bit about your your local area you're based in uh colorado correct yeah mm -hmm. yeah i'm in boulder colorado mm -hmm. um so we kind of sit at the the foothills um and behind them are the Rocky Mountains. So I'm um, I'm really only about a 45 minute drive from Rocky Mountain National Park. So that's you know I really consider that kind of my backyard for photography. Yeah, right. Um, so that that's you sort of go to if you you know. It up. absolutely is. Yeah, if it's the night before and I'm deciding to go shoot, it's yeah, it's often you know it's it's there up in Rocky Mountain National Park. I also live. We have the Flatirons here in Boulder, Colorado. And they're beautiful. And so there are definitely mornings in summer when the flowers are out that, you know, that my only goal is just to go there and try different shots with different light of the flat irons. I love getting them in each season. Uh, they're yeah. incredible with snow on them. So no. it's, it's fun that there's, you know, there's so much beauty right here in Boulder and there's a lot of hiking trails right here. But if I'm generally, I'm going up to, um, Rocky Mountain National Park, there's an area called Brainerd Lake. Um, yep. It's another beautiful area that I used to go to a lot. We're now um, hitting the point of needing permits everywhere. And yeah. it's getting harder. That, that's something that I want to talk a little bit about. You know, um, one of the things I've spoken to a number of other landscape photographers about, um, particularly in the US, but it's, it, it, it's also an issue here, is just the the amount of people visiting some of these areas now simply because of the exposure they've got on social media uh, is, is exponentially just increasing, you know, and everybody having a camera in their phone and it, it, it's just exponentially increased the number of people visiting some of these locations. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about the, the, the permit system over there and uh, how, how that how that works and how that works for for landscape photography in particular because yeah you know, surely you can't always not everyone can get that blue hour time slot you know 
No, it's well, so the way they've done it here and it it started with COVID. So it started that summer. We hadn't had the permits before, but they wanted to have less people in the park, less people interacting. And so they went to this permit system okay. and then realized it worked well and they kept it, you know, and, and now it's I don't think it's going away. And then last year, a couple other popular areas are the Brainerd Lake Recreation Area and then Mount Evans is a very popular um we call them 14ers here in Colorado mountains that are above 14,000 feet. I don't yep. I know it's not a common term for people around the world necessarily, but yeah. um, it's it's a 14er here and there's mountain goats at the top and it's just beautiful landscape opportunities for wildlife, but they switched to permits too. And so those are kind of a lot of, you know, I would say a lot of our go-to spots. Yeah, and right. so suddenly they're all permitted and you know you you need to completely either plan ahead or be ready to um one thing that's been great about the park rocky mountain is that they do release a couple hundred each night before at a certain time and i have found if i'm ready on the computer right when they release the couple hundred i often can get one okay and so that's been really helpful um the other option is in the beginning it wasn't a big deal because uh the permit started at 6 a.m and okay. you needed to be there by then anyway. But now yeah. it's 5 a.m. and you don't need to be there that early. Right. Yeah. You don't want to be there that early. <laughs> <laughs> so that is an option though. A lot of people will uh, still unless, unless you do an astro, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. If you could be up there for astro already. Um, yeah. but you can go in after hours. Yeah. So the okay. permits generally run from 5 a.m. to I think 7 p no, 6. 6 or 7 p.m. It, I think it was 6 and then they pushed it to 7 last summer right. and it, it got it was easier to kind of work around it a little. Got it. Yeah. Um, so they, their access is, Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say it is definitely difficult. Um, and at the same time, though, there are so many people. I mean, you know, we yeah. live in a, a pretty decent metropolitan suburban area now with a lot of, you know, just urban sprawl and everything's gotten more crowded. So I, I kind of don't know if there's a better a better solution because yeah. we also need to protect the the lands we want to use and Absolutely. photograph on yeah. and hike on and everything. So, I th you know, I, I think they've done a good job with it. You know, I think it's hard for all of us who have been doing photography, you know, and even before I did photography, my husband did. So I'd get up with him and go, you yeah, know, yeah, so yeah. it's been years and, and with our boys of traveling in all these places where the, there was never an issue with people to suddenly have all these crowds, you know, it's, mm. it's have not going to go away though. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think it will. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the, unfortunately the, the, the interesting dichotomy is yes, you want these things to be popular because you want them to be protected, but the popular, the popularization of them sort of then can, lead to damage being done to them simply because of the number of people visiting. And uh, I, I was going to ask, have you, have you noticed any locations in particular that have been, you know, sort of, you know, uh, had that kind of damage done to them? I, yeah, I definitely have. Um, so one of the, one of the places we have a, a photo hanging in our house that my husband took of um, a very, you know, popular scene in Grand Teton National Park of the Molten Barn. It's a, you know, this yep. barn, the Tetons behind it. It's a very popular spot. But, you know, when we used to go there when our boys were really little, they're older now. I'm older. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm really talking 15 to 20 years ago. They're 
Both my boys are 20 and 22. So um, when we were going, when they were young, we have this photo that my husband took and there's these, like there's the barn and the mountains. And then in front of the barn is just this beautiful tall grass. Just the whole foreground is this tall grass. And that is just gone. Like there, you can't ever take that photo again because it has just been trampled so much that grass isn't even growing there. It's just dirt. And there might be like really short grass in places. So it's grass and dirt. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I, I didn't even realize that until like a, one day I just like looked at that photo and it kind of clicked. I was like, wow, you can't, you can't take that photo. Yeah. Mm. You know, that, that may not exist unless they decide to close it off at some point to yeah, put, a, put a fence around it. Yeah. yeah. To, you know, I mean, that's probably where some stuff will be, will be headed, but that's one area. Um, maroon, the maroon bells up near Aspen, Colorado yep. is another area that we have watched. Um, just a lot of damage happened. So many photographers in the fall that line up there and, you know, have just eroded the shoreline and the, yeah, yeah. you know, all the plants that were kind of along the shoreline and, you know, we see it a lot. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, try and find a solution for it, but I, right. I, it's just interesting, I guess, to, to talk to people and understand how, how these places you know how the impact of social media popularity is is it impacted some of these places and uh, definitely you know, it, basically the only the only thing I can think of as, as I said before was you know you start to put fencing in and that then you know that causes its own visual nightmares. Okay. <laughs> I think I think the permitting can work well. Um, you know. Uh, an area that I've always been very focused on is education in, in my own social media and writing articles Yeah, um, is to try to just help educate people on how important it is to take care of these areas. We love to photograph because even as photographers, we've seen, you know, so many more photographers come in and, and we're just overcrowding these areas. And I, I yeah. think education plays a, a, you know, big part. And so I try to do that. If I post, I haven't been good about posting on social media, but when I do a post like on Instagram of a shot taken in the Alpine tundra in Rocky Mountain National Park, I'll talk about the tundra in the post and explain how it takes years for these fragile plants to come back and that it's a very delicate ecosystem. And, you know, I've had people be like, I had no idea, you know, because I'm like, stay on the trails because they're not marked well up there. And I can see how that's an easy one for people to just walk on without even realizing and so i i've tried to focus on education i think is if we can do that as photographers who are out in the field a lot it can yeah, make a definitely. difference definitely and i i totally agree and support that it's it, it's one of the best things you can do in terms of education is you know use use the social media to to, to educate people in terms of traveling around do you sort of restricting yourself obviously the last few years has been a bit of an exception because nobody's really been able to go anywhere but uh have have you been restricting yourself to the us and uh canada or are you gone further afield um unfortunately i haven't been able to travel a lot Uh, there are areas i am i'm dying to explore australia new zealand being Mm -hmm. a couple of them um Europe I've really only spent time in France um yep. we've been to Africa a couple times so we've we've done a safari there 
Nice. Um, but for the most part, you know, I, I kind of say that my photography is Western United States. Um, yeah. You know, it's really my focus is, you know, Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, Utah. But then I also spend a lot of time in Southern California at the beach okay. and yep. in Maui in Hawaii. So I also do a lot of photography, a lot of seascapes too. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I love, I mean, seascapes i think i enjoy even more than like a mountain scene really? in terms of, i think in terms of the actual photography yeah um i i mean i like doing long exposure with clouds and stuff but doing it with water and waves is one of my favorite things to share yeah yeah it, i mean it, it's got a certain dynamism and you know it, it does sort of change change the look uh right. of that seascape you know i mean you, you take a short exposure and yeah you can see every ripple but uh you get into long exposure you can just see where the water actually moves i think and it, it, i mean it's one of the reasons why i love it too you know it's a, it's it, it's probably my favorite type yeah but is it then i i live in a place where there's you know something like 42 beaches within wow an hour of me you know so <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's always changing. And I mean, I know the yeah. clouds are and the sky is too, but you know, you have those mornings where it's just a blue sky, you know, and yeah. there's not a lot you can change where with the ocean and the waves, there's just so much movement to Absolutely. capture. I really enjoy that. So that is more my focus. I would love to travel more. Um, I don't know. We just <laughs> haven't been able to do much international travel. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think anyone has the last couple of years. I've, yeah, I've got, that's true. I've got a trip to the UK coming up because my, my wife's from the UK. So okay. uh, um, try, trying to organise a, um, a a trip into the uh, the Lake District up there if I can. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. yeah. So uh, look, I've heard looking that's really forward to that. But um, yeah, haven't just haven't had any uh, any opportunity to, to to get out for a while. I guess in in terms of that, has uh, you know COVID and the, the the pandemic had any impact on your thinking around traveling and um, you know photography in particular? Not not really. Um, you know, I found that that first summer of COVID, I actually was out doing photography almost more than I yeah. ever had before because everything you know our, our trips had been canceled. Um, yeah. No, nothing else to do <laughs> yeah we had a trip planned to like all the washington national parks and another trip to maui planned and so we didn't do those and we ended up um renting a place just up in estes park in rocky um we were only on like lockdown lockdown here from mid-march to really like mid-may i think okay so yeah. we, you know we were allowed to travel locally you know yeah. I, I wasn't flying anywhere or anything but i spent so much time in Rocky Mountain National Park that summer. And um, then we did some backpacking in Wyoming. Um, we're able to go backpacking in the Wind River Range, which had been something we'd been wanting to do. But we just never had time for that, you know, shorter trip up there because each summer we had these bigger trips planned. And so I look back on my photos from that summer and I was like, wow, that first summer of COVID was excellent in terms of photography. And, you know, you're outside. So I would go by myself. I'd photograph by myself. It felt very safe. 
you know, it was it it felt like such an escape and a, a release during that time. Absolutely, yeah. We we went through uh, a, a fairly nasty period of lockdown. I uh, I remember that. It was 165 days of That's really uh, long. Not being able to go more than five k's from my front door. So, do you have a beach within that distance? Nope. I live in Western suburban Sydney, which is very suburban. Uh, right. Lots of you know street lights and telegraph poles and houses and fences to shoot, but they're not very right. That I mean, that's I've a really a long time. Which has a little brown stream that runs through it, and it's right. sort of muddy and sluggish, and it doesn't move much, you know. <laughs> um. Yeah that that is a very long time to yeah. be in lockdown and. Yeah, well, it's why yeah. I started the podcast, really. was. Oh, that's of... excellent. <laughs> so I got something out of it, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, I think those two months, well, and the, the crazy part was, um, I mean, I guess we'd had them one year before, but um, we we have about an acre of a lot, and behind our lot is a little stream Yeah. Um, that runs between the houses that are behind us and us. There's this little creek, and um, we had a fox den, and so I was able to, for like a solid month, just take fox photos from my yard. Right. Okay. During lockdown, which I was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like yeah. there is something in my yard. That's, that, that's nice. Yeah. I, I wish my, I, I've got some plants and trees in the yard and I suppose I could have got into macro flowers. <laughs> I, I did do that. I did more macro um i definitely did macro around our neighborhood in my yard and i found myself i just recently deleted all these squirrel photos <laughs> i was clearly very bored and i decided that our squirrels were very cute and and photogenic and they were something i could do so, sure. <laughs> yeah but in terms of i mean it definitely impacted our travel you know really till we got vaccinated and everything and then um now, you know, I, I, what it, my other part-time job is a nonprofit that we run. And so I think the reason I don't often have a lot of time for international is that we're, we travel to Africa for that. And so right. okay. um, when we're doing huge trips, they're, they're often tied into our nonprofit. So yeah. I'm hoping we get to travel more now that our boys are both college age and COVID is, you know, we were Hopefully. able to travel again. Yeah, I know exactly. So hopefully we'll get to do more. Yeah. So what motivates you creatively? I guess, you know, obviously uh, the, the landscape and wildlife is, is a big part of that. But what is, what is it behind that? What, and what is it about that that really makes you want to create art out of it as opposed to just, you know, I mean, you, you can you can do wildlife photography, which is just recording. There's 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 an animal there in its habitat, but then there's making that into art, and I guess right. that that's the bit that I'm really interested in. That's a good question. Um, I clearly go out and do it because I love nature and I mm. feel whole when I'm in nature. Like there's no other time that I feel as at peace and content yeah. and free of everything than when I'm in the mountains. Um, I think, I think it started with really wanting um, to cap, I mean, I don't know, wildlife, it was just more like, this is so much fun. I love these animals. I want to be able to print these for our house, you know, yeah. so it kind of started with that. Landscapes, I think, um, 
somewhat was tied a little bit to like trips we took, like wanting to capture and edit something that was a memory, you know, that really captured the memory of a a trip we took. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I, I don't know that I can come up with an actual answer on why I love to turn it into art because I do all these solo trips where there aren't moments I necessarily need to capture. Um, But I love, I just love taking photos and coming home and. and, I I guess now that leads to the question, when, when you're going out, are you thinking about it as, uh, you know, uh, um, as a production of art, as in, you know, are you thinking about how can I, you know, use that colour or that light or whatever to, you know, really bring together a piece. It definitely am. And I don't know if, I mean, probably when I started out, I wasn't as much. I didn't, you know, because I had, I mean, I don't think most people start out with like all the gear just laying at their feet when they head out. So I, I have kind of a unique start to it, right? That I just took the gear and went out. So I didn't really completely understand light and how important that was in the beginning. And so... Yeah. Yes, I'm always, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think you can be a photographer without having light be absolutely central to everything, totally. you know, everything that you do. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely always looking for what I think will look good in a, a composition and a photo. Um, for me, composition has come a lot more naturally than the technical side of yeah, right. photography. So I feel like I feel like I do somewhat naturally see the exact composition instantly that I want. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'll work with it and I'll move and I'll do things that aren't as comfortable for me. But I I feel like I can visualize, you know, what I want pretty quickly. Yep. Um, I have a harder time with everything with a camera. Okay. (laughs) All, you know, just everything technical is, is harder for me. So Um, that part's, you know, taken more learning probably. I gotta say that. the results are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah. So I, obviously light color. I mean, fall is my favorite time. Sure. You know, I just, I, just the amount of color. I just don't feel like you can beat it. And yeah. Um, you, you mentioned printing before. Do you print much of your work or do you, you know, and, and what format are you doing sort of large scale or are you doing uh, photo books for, for yourself or? Um, I've done all the photo books I've tended, I've kind of done have been really just family, family sure. trips and stuff. Um, I print, I, I do a lot of, um, car, I do card sets. Okay. Um, that's yep. been something that everyone I know has loved. So you know, I'll do a wildlife card set, a seascapes, a landscapes. And so I print on for cards a lot. And then um, I print more large format for our home, but we don't have room anymore. Um, with, <laughs> Run out with, of wall space. <laughs> yeah, we don't really have more wall space. Um, I just, just, we just, just built this she just shed. Add on or in. put another level on. <laughs> well, we, we did, we just built at Christmas that I'm in a she shed right now. That is my office. And um no. We built that and so i was all excited because i got to print some pieces you know <laughs> for that and then really the other printing i've really done are just for um people purchasing my work and oh. with getting into nfts my collectors um yeah. and i i print a lot on metal and acrylic okay well i was gonna, gonna ask what you what you go to in terms of your your, your format 
probably acrylic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's my favorite, but like out here, the walls are really thin. So I had to print metal. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't print prints as much anymore. I really love these other mediums. Yeah. Fair enough. What's, what's your routine when you're out in the fields? Um, you know, what, what are you looking for in terms of you, you mentioned being able to see that uh, composition? What, what are you looking for? What are the elements, I guess? And can you, can you break that down a little bit into, are you looking for shape or light or combinations of the two or? I've, I think I've realized my, my favorite thing is reflection. So um, I, I don't know, four out of five times in, in I'm picking a lake, a river, something that I know will pick up the reflection of the mountains in the water. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of times I, you know, I kind of make it a little more narrow of what I'm doing based on how much I've found. I love reflection. So I tend to go to any places where I can have any kind of water, you know, even if it's like, you know, I remember at the barn in the Tetons, it had rained and I was able to get on the ground and, you know, use a puddle to get the reflection of the barn in the mountains. And, you know, like, so I, I'm very drawn to reflection. So I am drawn to water. Um, And so I'll do that a lot. And then obviously light, you know, a lot of times I'm sure you've had this experience, you have your, seen in front of you, you know exactly what you're trying to capture and then the lights behind you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah, like, I'll... perfect, the perfect light, the perfect color, everything is behind me where the mountains are not. And so yeah. then I find that I'm, you know, kind of just scrambling to, you know, kind of just come up with a a composition that will work to capture that light or the color in the sky. And and maybe that's just a couple trees or Oh, you know, sure. the, the hills and, you know, and so those times you're more just kind of flying, looking around, like what, you know, what can I capture to get <laughs> what is the most beautiful right now, which is yeah, yeah. that sky, that light behind me, of course, not in front of me where I want yeah, it. <laughs> not, not, not behind that mountain or behind <laughs> that you know, set of trees or whatever it is. that you. Yeah. So I'm obviously always chasing the light, but um, I, I really do love reflection. Yeah, well, for me, for me, seascapes are usually spot by cloud on the horizon. Mm-hmm. So you go there and you've got some, you know, nice layer of high cloud and then a gap and then this big, thick chunk of cloud right across the horizon. That right, just, that's perfect. Uh, yeah, it just messes you up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the elements don't uh, like to cooperate a lot of the time. <laughs> No, that's but that's that's the fun of uh, photography. It is. I mean, if it if we knew every time we went out, we could capture yeah, a perfect shot with with our clouds exactly where we wanted them. Yeah, if the sunrise was a banger every morning, you know, exactly, it, it wouldn't there be would be no challenge. It. Get, but it wouldn't. The, the shots wouldn't be interesting either because everyone could take them. You know, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So what, what what about processing when you when you get home? You are you straight into it, or do you let things gestate for a while? And you know what what's kind of your your not detailed workflow, but you know right. what, what's your general workflow? Um, so I mentioned I'm impatient. <laughs> I get home and I want to see them right away. So oh. <laughs> if if I'm home, I mean I generally always have a laptop on my trips. I do the same thing. I think also because of how I was, I just taught myself in the beginning, 
I had enough experiences, especially with wildlife in the beginning where I thought for sure I had just gotten the most amazing shot, just perfectly focused. And then I'd come home and they'd be blurry of, you know, I didn't have my settings right or, you know, and, and so, and I would be so disappointed. And so I think that actually probably played into why I always want to see them right away. I don't need to edit them right away, but I'll like, I'll put them on the computer and I'll just take like the exposure and slide it way up so I can just see, like, if it was like a darker morning, you know, I'll just slide it up to see if it's clear enough. Um, And then, so I I definitely look at them right away. I won't, I don't edit them all right away, but um, I know I have a lot of friends who sit and who, wait six months before they edit photos or they'll edit two or three photos and then they go back. I'm more likely to focus on that trip or that period of time and really go through them all and pull the ones that I like. And then I'll revisit them, you know, later I'll go back, but I definitely tend to kind of go through and know fairly quickly, which ones are ones I'm going to want to work on. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned you learnt uh, all of this sort of from scratch on your on your own. Um, was it just sort of bumping around and making those errors, and you know, then how how did how did you learn to fix them? I guess. Um, yeah. So I guess I learned a lot from from my mistakes. Um, you know, I think in the beginning, especially with wildlife, I just didn't understand all the you know all the components and. Yep and everything. And, um, so I think, I think how I started was really realizing like, okay, I'm not happy with any of these photos. What did I do wrong? And then I'd start looking at, or I'd ask my husband, you know, what I do wrong here. And he'd say, you know, well, you didn't have your aperture right. Or your ISO wasn't right. You you needed to be higher with this light. Your ISO needed to be higher. And, um, and so then I would Google, I, you know, I would just start Googling, okay, how to photograph elk in low light or, you know, I mean, literally like just yeah, yeah. <laughs> very random, you know, everything you can plug into Google. And then I would just, you know, I would watch YouTube videos and tutorials. I'm, I really, really want to spend more time on editing tutorials. Um, okay. I would really like to up my editing game. I feel like I have a lot to learn there still. Right. And so I'd really like to make time for that. But as far as like learning my camera, you know, learning the settings, it, it was just a lot of watching videos, learning from mistakes. I still make mistakes. Wildlife's hard for me. I, I, <laughs> I think every photographer, yeah, no, nobody shows them, but yeah, every photographer. Right, I, I could show you lots of blurry photos of animals. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I got my, I had a uh, repair done on uh, my camera uh, a few months ago and I got it back from the shop and took it out for a shoot the day after and didn't realise that they defaulted everything. So the default was shooting JPEG, not RAW. Oh, no. I came back and I'd sort of climbed, half climbed down a cliff into a a slot canyon to take this shot of a a waterfall and everything, and I got back and it was like, um, I can't really edit these the way that I normally do because they're just JPEG. Oh, that's the (laughs) They're they're okay, but... Right. I know those things are so fun. Like I, that's such a bummer. I went, um, and you never, you you don't make the mistake again though. Once you've made it, right. (laughs) I went up to Rocky, um, and I don't remember what I, what I had done, why I only had, you know, cause we have a couple cameras and 
you know, different gear that shouldn't have happened. But I think I only took one camera. I just took like a backpack of gear and um, I started shooting at this lake at sunrise and it was beautiful. And I'm like, where's the photo? Like <laughs> it's not there. And I open it and I don't have a single card and I have no backup oh, no. cards. I don't have any in the car. No I'm in, you know, 45 minutes at this point, an hour from home. And I'm like, a lot's not I have work. no cards. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. shoot on my iPhone for fun today, you know, and, <laughs> and I've never forgotten to make sure the cameras have cards since. Yeah. Well, I, I, I forgot to take the, uh, the tripod foot um, on the, on the bottom of the camera. It was on a different body. So I took a different body and got out to the location and was about to screw it on. And I'm going, okay, I'm going handheld. <laughs> um, I've done that more than one time. So Which when I say you don't make them. Yeah, I, I was there at sort of nautical twilight. So th this is just before blue hour starts. Right. And so there was, you cannot literally, lit well, without putting it on the ground and seascaping, that's not a great idea. <laughs> right oh absolutely I yeah i hate, I hate to an hour before i could actually take it <laughs> <laughs> i hate to admit i've done that one several times because yeah. i'm so often moving between tripods and cameras you know i have one that i shoot wildlife with and one landscape and a couple different tripods and i that's one i've made several times yeah so uh, just just on processing do how how long would you spend on a on an image would you you know you're there for for hours with multiple layers or are you just sort of you know bang what do you think <laughs> you're impatient so i got an idea um yeah i well i think there's two reasons for it i think i am somewhat impatient and i like to just edit quickly and move on but part of it is i don't think i have the editing skill that yeah. would allow me to work on an image for two hours I, I wouldn't know what to do anymore. Yeah. So um, I think probably my average time for a photo that I'm going to print, going to put up for sale, anything like that, I'd say I spend 25 to 30 minutes. Wow. Okay. But I know a lot of people will spend two to three hours. Oh, yeah. No, I know. Um, I, yeah. I'm also, though, I'm a very realistic editor. I don't, you know, I, I try to really show the scene I saw. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so a lot of times that is fairly easy for me to, you know, to be like, well, no, it was like this, it was this and, you know, and kind of create that. So I'm not someone who, who does a lot of post-processing and is really creative. And, um, so you know, you I, I'm always, for me, I'm always, I think just my goal is to always try to pull the viewer into the scene that I saw. Yep. And so I think that's what has kind of led to my more realistic, you know, just yeah. style. And then also the, probably the fact that there's more I could learn and I could become more creative, but um, that's the style I've kind of chosen to go with and the way I wanted people to see my work yep. Um, yep. has actually probably kept me from learning a lot more that I would like to learn. Um, I just, I know there's so many tools that I oh, yeah. The thing is, is both Lightroom and Photoshop are just so deep and so wide. It's uh, right. Know, there's always, you know, 14 different ways of doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So that's something I hope to spend more time on soon. Yeah. So do you find that you, your shooting style influences that editing style or vice versa? Or is it more that you're shooting? Um, and I, I guess, you know, are you... 
obviously, if you if you've got an image where you need to photo stack, you, you're doing that sort of thing. But are you doing much image blending for high dynamic range, or are you uh, trying to are you using you know uh, filters and you, you you're shooting to try and get the shot in one in one exposure? Um, I use a lot of filters, definitely, um, especially obviously for anything long exposure, but. I um I do stacking. I don't do I don't really do blending. I just haven't really learned enough to do that. So I'll, you know, I definitely do the stacking where you focus on the sky and then you focus on the foreground and you, you know, yeah, right. Stack and get them to work together and everything. But um I yeah, not much beyond that. Okay, cool. Cool. What's the most notable experience you've had while you're uh, in in your photography career? most notable yeah like out in the field kind of thing well, it doesn't or... have to be out in the field okay. could be could be at home <laughs> yeah um you know i'm honestly and i won't go into these because they're more wildlife but um probably a, a few moments i've had with wildlife that were unexpected yeah. where because also same kind of issue with crowds now we're having that with wildlife so when you're in the tetons and you're used to finding a moose and having a handful of photographers there's now 50. yeah and right. it's really impacted my desire to want to photograph you know I, if there's that many people around an animal i, I just keep going i, I just yeah. i don't enjoy that and so that's that gotten harder. experience would be that great you know? right right so it, it's definitely hard and i mean sometimes you know you end up with a lot of people but i i try to you know, limit the amount of people I'm with. So some of those experiences where I've come across wildlife, that's just, you know, just such a perfect situation. And there are times that I haven't shot it too, that I've just sat there and watched this, this creature just for the experience too. And I've really enjoyed that. Um, with landscapes, probably for me, though, the one that stands out the most is, um, it was, it was actually during COVID. Um, when we didn't want to be flying, but I had to fly back to California to say goodbye to my mom. She had um, a frontal temporal dementia and um, she'd been sick for a while and she was in full-time care at this point. We had had full-time care at home, but we had to you know, eventually move her. And so I flew out to say goodbye to her and my brother, dad and I all went and did that. And it was obviously extremely emotional. And I grew up there on the beaches in Southern California. We had a little beach cottage that we lived at during summers. Um, and I grew up, you know, just, just in this whole area of Newport beach along the ocean. And so, um, I just needed to be alone that evening. I was staying at my dad's and I just took my camera and went to the Newport pier, which I've, you know, been at so many times with my mom growing up and, yep. you know, and I just, um, sat up sat up my camera and stood um i remember that i was in a longer skirt like just a skirt and t-shirt mm -hmm. and that i just stood in the waves like i just you know i just didn't care i had my tripod in the water the waves yeah. were coming up fairly high on the tripod my skirt was halfway you know just soaked and i stood there crying and shooting long exposure photos of the water at sunset hitting yeah. the pier and it was really beautiful it was yeah. it was a real like healing moment of kind of just um, really remembering my mom and thinking about all of our time, you know, cause I, I really cannot be on a beach without thinking about her cause mm -hmm. she raised me on them. So um, that was a really, 
really meaningful moment, um, really special evening with, and it was crazy because I was, I remember being disappointed because there was a wildfire up near Los Angeles and, yep. you know, I was like, oh, it's going to be too smoky. And, you know, and then, you know how sometimes that smoke can create such interesting color yeah, and, get, and the sun was fire. like, yeah, the sun was orange and there were layers of kind of pink orange with the blue water and like, like the tobacco filters you can get on your uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> without yeah, exactly. To, without having to use the the, the glass. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, so it was it it was just a really beautiful night and um, like a wonderful memory. Yeah, I just I've realized how much photography can be therapy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how much just being alone in nature um with a camera can just help me process and you know help me work through hard stuff too well, i think the uh, i forget exactly where i read it there has been some studies done on things like flow state and the therapeutic uh sort of benefits that come from getting into that state of, you know and whether it's music or photography or art or or whatever uh you know the people the, the the serotonin and whatever that's actually released into into your brain right. actually just has this wonderful effect you know but you've got to get to that point where you can actually get into the into the flow state to definitely to, yeah. yeah yeah and i never i just don't think i didn't know that existed you know i mean i'm i've spent the first you know three-fourths of my life or whatever having no idea that was a thing. A thing. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I wasn't, I was an artist a bit as a kid. I was, you know, I was, I was good at drawing and painting until I got to about high school. And then I just didn't really, you know, didn't have the interest. It didn't pass on. And I just never thought I was creative. And so I think I kind of assumed I just, you know, didn't have that side in me and until I was really, you know, handed a camera and mm. discovered that. And I just, I just can't imagine life without it. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 can I? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's it's funny. I do remember experiences like that in childhood, you know, uh, like making uh, model airplanes or model ships or whatever, and you know, painting them. And you just got so focused on what you were doing, right? The entire, you know, time and the rest of the world just didn't matter, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and at the time certainly didn't recognize it as as that sort of you know flow state but you know now now that i've you know now that i'm you know nearly 60 and <laughs> you know learned a lot a lot more around the world it's uh you know right. it, it's really recognizable as being that state where you just sort of you know everything else shuts off time doesn't matter you know exactly. other, other pressures don't matter you know? and, yeah the only time i'd ever really kind of felt that is that I was a swimmer growing up and um, my mm -hmm. best friend and I used to do ocean workouts where we would just swim like peer to peer. And yeah. it was that same kind of feeling where nothing else existed. And, you know, you were just, you were in the water. I was with her, but we were not, you know, interacting. So you just kind of hit that, that yeah. same thing where everything else went away. That was kind of the closest feeling I'd had to it. Yeah. Would you say you've learned anything about the world through photography? That's a good question. That's why um, <laughs> I I think one thing, and this this goes back to even how I started. I think I've learned to find beauty all around us. Um, 
I don't know that I had the eye for that before my son was so sick and we were home all the time and he couldn't get out of bed. And, um, I realized that you could find beauty in the simplest things. And, Mm. you know, it, it would be something silly, like literally the sun streaming through hitting the dog on the floor. Like, (laughs) you know, it would be something that's like, you know, that's not a big deal, but I started just seeing beauty, um, around me and, and looking for it. I, you know, I really started training my eye at that point to look for beauty around me. And I, I think that's helped me with photography, just that there is beauty everywhere. There's beauty in people everywhere. I'm not a people photographer, but I see it all the time, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there's, there's so much beauty in this world. And, you know, even things that aren't beautiful, you can find a creative angle on it and, you know, and, and, that's been fun. I mean, I just, I realized, you know, even in like some of the national parks, I've found myself, you know, like I'm getting gas somewhere and you'll see some of the old trucks that are just like parked there. And I'll look at one of them and it's, you know, it's 70, it's a 60, 70 year old bus from the park. And suddenly I'm, I'm taking photos of it and it's not anything that I do, but I find that I'm drawn to like the beauty of a historical structure, you know, and and so I think that that's something I've learned is just how much beauty there is around us if we choose to see it. Yeah, um, no, yeah. I think that's that, that's a really important thing that a lot of people don't get about, uh, you know, the, or that aren't photographers don't get about, you know, how photography how photography makes you think about the world or look at the world because you know I mean I've I've seen. Uh, some stunningly beautiful uh, photos of uh, decaying buildings, you know, by right. exploration photographers. And, you know, it's just the colours, the the compositions that they've managed to create, even though this, you know, if, if you walked in there and you looked at it and you go, I don't really want to be here, you know. <laughs> it's right. A, it, it's um. an uncomfortable place to be, and it, but yet it can be truly beautiful, you know. Right. And I, I feel like I saw some of that. I do think being on Twitter this last year has helped me with that because I think in Instagram, I really kind of created this landscape wildlife circle and that's yeah. all I saw. And so I've been exposed just through making so many friends through Twitter and stuff with, with street photography, urban exploration, mm-hmm. you know, all of that, that I'm, I am seeing beauty, even that I never would have seen before and and that's kind of exciting because i'm like oh my gosh that opens up yeah you know more opportunities to just explore with your camera when you're different places um you know one of the things i found too is how much i want to just take photos of everything when we're in africa yeah and that i have to be very careful with the cultures and the people there to not be taking photos of people who don't want me to and you know and and to just be really sensitive to that with people since i don't generally um, you know, photograph people, mm, mm. but, um, just, you know, it, it's, you're so drawn into different cultures with different fabrics and colors and, you know, but then also there's just so much you need to be careful of and ensure you're being aware of when you're yeah, yeah. shooting oh, another culture. I, I think particularly if you're doing street photography, you know, being, and it doesn't matter which culture you're in, being respectful to, you know, people. Absolutely. They look, I, I don't want my photo being taken and, you know, stay away. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's probably. Yeah. 
Have you ever hit a creative wall? And if so, how did you handle it? I um, hit a really big creative wall last spring. Um, and I think as I look back on it, I think it was also, you know, we were, wait, this past spring, a year ago. Okay. <laughs> like, wait, when was that? So we really were only a year into COVID, I guess, but it had been a rough year. <laughs> to be honest, I think the last two years, three yeah. years have actually only been a month. Exactly. It's, it's all just like gone together. But so, um, yeah, I had, I had a lot of, um, just a lot of personal stuff to deal with that first year, um, stuff within our family, losing my mom, COVID being locked down, having more anxiety. I, I tend to have anxiety and depression. And so mm -hmm. that brings out more anxiety in me. Um, so I think that probably did impact my wall a bit, um, was just that my life was feeling kind of, you know, difficult and out of control. Um, yeah. I have found that for me when I've hit, I mean, I've hit walls several times, but um, this one was like a big one where I was like, wow, I don't want to pick up a camera. And yeah. I didn't, I just didn't for a couple months. And I think that's fine too, you know, to, to feel like I need a break. I don't feel creative and I don't necessarily want to feel creative, you know? And, yeah. um, but I have found that um, I use macro photography to pull me out of, out of those ruts and um, help me be creative again, because I don't do macro photography on a regular basis. Yeah. It just starts working my, my brain in a different way. And um, I can do that right at home. You know, there's plenty of yeah, in spring and summer, oh. there's, there's yeah. enough around for me to just focus on right here. So I would start with just 20 minutes walking around my yard and our side field in the Creek. And then within that same week, I would tell myself, okay, you have to go to the mountains, but only with your macro lens. Like, don't, like, don't even take other lenses. And then I'd go on a hike and, um, mainly just flowers or bark or lichen, you know, like I just would find these things that, you know, and, and I enjoy, I enjoy that. And I think there's, there's so many beautiful macro shots, but it's not generally my thing, but I have found that it helps, um, something in my brain, um, kind of switch back into a creative mode and in a way that it's, it's not what I'm used to doing on a, you know, regular basis. So I'm not frustrated with myself. I'm not, you know, if, if I can't get a macro shot perfect or if something's blurry, I'm like, well, I'm not really, you know, ma macro isn't my specialty, but I, I, you know, I'm really enjoying it. And so I have found that that has worked to pull me out of it. Yeah. Okay. What's, what's your favorite thing about being a photographer? being in nature. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I love the just like, as I've been able to kind of make this a part-time job this last year, year and a half, I love that. Like, I actually, you know, my husband's like encouraging me even like, Oh yeah, get out there, get more photos, you know? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have so much freedom to just go spend time in nature. Nice. Um, that's how I started. You know, that's kind of what led me into it is just my love for nature and that's why I love it. It and it encourages me to get out and do more than I think I would without a camera. Yeah, right. So what what about the least favorite thing? The camera itself. Okay. <laughs> and I know that's not a normal one for people, but I can get very frustrated with my yeah. camera and with yeah. feeling like I'm really dumb and why is this hard for me and 
I hit a button. What button did I hit? What did I do that changed this setting? And yeah. <laughs> and I know it probably makes me sound so dumb as a photographer, but it has been it. I my brain just does not operate that way. Right. And that is a challenge for me is learning everything about a camera where I know with so many people that is so natural. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's challenging for me and I don't like it. So, yeah. you know, I want to just have like a simple process that I know and that I don't have to <laughs> learn a lot about. So, yeah, my camera frustrates me. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's probably pretty sad. No, I, I, I just find it intriguing. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds, like, sounds like the interface that they've uh, built for your camera has uh, probably probably got some problems. <laughs> I'm not going to no, ask which one it is. No, it's me. It's very, <laughs> it's very much me. Okay. <laughs> no, I have it working fine for me, but I just have realized that I get I get very frustrated with trying to figure out because I just. I don't know. I bump it all the time. I do things all the time. And then I'm like, what did I do? And oh, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly forgetting to turn it off before I stick it back in the bag. And mm -hmm. then, you know, either rubbing it on the side of the bag or my thumb or my, one of my fingers will hit a button and I'll pull it right. out. They're not the settings. You know, it takes exactly. Hey, what? <laughs> yeah. And probably I, I like to blame the camera if I go out and start shooting something and like my aperture is totally wrong. It, it was because I was just shooting an elk and now I'm shooting mountains, but it's not my fault that I didn't <laughs> look at it. You know, I just jumped in and started. Well, what shooting, you want a camera so. that knows what you're shooting. So that, you exactly. <laughs> yeah. All this AI with cameras now is excellent. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, I remember talking to somebody before that uh, was saying in, in terms of their processing, they just want to be able to say, process the image, you know, like, yeah. Like Star Trek. You know? <laughs> you, exactly. You put it in yeah, the computer and then you tell it what you want and it'll come out. <laughs> right. And it's funny, as much as I, I feel like I do have a lot more I could learn with editing, I do really enjoy editing. So um, yeah. that's enjoyable. I love that time. I, you know, have to, I have to have loud music on and um, love just being alone with music and editing and, you know, kind of in a way you get in that a, a different kind of flow state with that. Yeah. What, what would you tell somebody that was uh, thinking of starting out to get into landscape photography, you know, either as a career or as a hobby? Um, well, I would definitely tell them to educate themselves yep. about all the places they're going to start going and, and to make sure that they really know rules and regulations and are following them because, you know, not only is it for our safety and everything, but it's to protect species and lands and ecosystems and everything so that's always a big part of what i'm gonna share with people and then i think honestly if you know if i had friends that were like i just you know i just want to get a camera and start being a landscape photographer i'm going to encourage them to start getting up early at sunrise and just going out with their iphone yep. um i think that you can learn a lot about if this is something you want to do or not with just your phone because i don't think anyone should just i mean this this gear is expensive it's mm. You know you invest a lot and so i don't think anyone should be investing in this hobby profession whatever it is without really kind of seeing do you like do you like being outside this much do you are you all you know i mean if they're already a climber a hiker a camper 
all those things and they're used to getting up early and they're used to inclement weather and all of that, I'm going to be a lot more likely to be like, oh yeah, get a camera, let's go, you know? But if they, if they don't have all that experience, they have to, I think first just have the experience and you can do that with your phone and see if it's something you enjoy, you know, do you enjoy, because if you don't enjoy being there in that moment, you're not going to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's probably what I would Okay, great advice. Great advice. What do you like to do when you're not out shooting? Um, I like to hike. (laughs) I still (laughs) like to be out in nature. Um, So I like to hike. I like to just be with my family. Um, My family is very outdoorsy, so if I'm going to be with my family, we're generally... Probably Um, hike somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Although I love, I do actually really enjoy going climbing with my guys. I don't really climb. I climbed when I was younger. So I have a fusion and I have chronic back pain. Okay. And um, I, you know, it was fun, but it's not like a passion for me, like it is for both my boys and my husband. But I really enjoy, you know, just going and hanging out somewhere beautiful with them while they climb. And often I'll have a book or, yeah you know, and just, just being with them and experiencing it with them. I love doing that. Um, when the weather's not great, what do I do? I love to read, but I just, I don't feel like I've been reading somehow something with COVID made it hard for me to read. I, those first few months I couldn't focus. I like kept trying to read and I just like my, I just couldn't focus. And so I haven't been great at reading these last two years, but that's always been something I've loved. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've I've been trying to get back into the into that myself uh, recently, and I I kind of understand what you what you're talking about with COVID. I think the first uh, sort of I, I'd say twelve months, it was it was di- difficult to concentrate on anything. It really was. It was so crazy. Yeah, there was just uh, so much going on. I guess. So, are there any photographers out there that you think I should be talking to on the podcast? um well i always am going to recommend my friend Kristen ryan who you've probably maybe not heard of or maybe have i don't know um she's not on twitter really yeah okay so Kristen is kind of she's my mentor she's been my mentor so while i was self-taught when it comes to things like long exposure and learning how to use um filters and everything Kristen taught me um I've taken classes from her online in person and we just shoot together now when we're, we end up in the Tetons together where we cross yeah. over at least a day that we can shoot together each okay. time. So she's really been my mentor. I think she's an incredible photographer. Um, Tara Workman. I don't know if you've. Yeah, no, I've, uh, I've, I've spoken to her on uh, in Twitter spaces a couple of times. Okay. I haven't actually had her on the podcast. She, I, I adore she's her. On my I list think, already. Okay. <laughs> I think she'd be excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Kristen and Tara would be too. Okay. Uh, I don't know. No, that'll do. Two, okay. Two. All right. I, I said uh, before we started that I've, I've got a really important issue to ask you about as well. Right. But, you had me a little nervous with that one. No, nah, it's nothing to be nervous <laughs> about. But I, I know it's a, it can be quite a divisive issue, and there's there's. You know, <laughs> it, it's not restricted to the photography community, but it's, you know, it can be quite divisive. Um, do you like pineapple on pizza? I knew that was going to be it. <laughs> I almost just said that. Is this the pineapple question? 
I don't know why this is such a thing with photographers. It's so it's funny. A, a lot of people, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um. Absolutely no pineapple on pizza. No. No. You're a flat no. No. I am a, a flat no. Never. If there's a piece of a wine sitting on the table, you're you're not into it. No, but I have to add a little caveat that I don't like pizza very much. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so it's it's a little bit easier for me to say no. I'm like an that's, absolute. That's another no. divisive issue entirely. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so no, I yeah, we we have this. I have this group of friends from Clubhouse days and Twitter, and this comes up like once a month, and we're all arguing about pineapple <laughs> on pizza. But um, and I think we're fairly evenly split, actually. Yeah, I haven't actually gone back. This is uh, episode forty-five, I think. Oh, wow. Congratulations. That's a lot. Thank you. Um, but I haven't actually gone back and done the numbers. I think I might do it at episode 50 and see where we stand and see whether or not we've got a... Is, a, is it made heavily one way or the other, you think? I, I, I don't know because I've, yeah. I've not actually gone back to listen to everybody right. and, and I haven't recorded it anywhere yet. So. Yeah, no, I'm a strong no. Okay. <laughs> I'll remember that if we're ever having pizza. <laughs> well, thank you very much uh, for taking the time to talk to me, Bryn. Uh, thank you so much, Grant. It's been really fun. Yeah, it's been, been a lot of fun getting to know you. Uh, where can people find your work? Um, I have a website. It's flatironsphotography.com. Um, it has some of my husband's work as well. So that's why we just call it Flatirons Photography. I'm on Instagram at Brynalise Photography, on Twitter at Brynalise Photo. Um, pretty much Brynalise everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon. Mm -hmm.